This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. All right, we survived. We survived a very, very busy week. Uh, hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade, Joe, coming your way. Uh, Jacksonville, great news for them. They're going to get the RNC. Uh, for the most part, they're going to get the big events. It looks like North Carolina will hold on to uh, the basically working groups of the uh, convention. It's going to be tough. But if you're not going to have a major event, if you're going to give a major speech as an incumbent president looking for four more years, you got to have a full stadium. You have to have a full arena. And uh, it looks like the Democratic governor wasn't even willing to even give the indication that they were going to try to do that. 300 people just won't cut it, so the president's going to be coming to Jacksonville. That's some of the breaking news today. President over in New Jersey at his golf club. Brooke Rollins is going to be with us from the White House. He's head of domestic policy. Uh, James Javidis, the admiral, uh, will be talking about all things military, from renaming military bases to renaming ships that are named after Confederate soldiers. Uh, statues. I want to get his take on that because a lot of these officers who fought in the South are represented in West Point. They were great officers. Mexican War, Spanish-American War. Uh, they just picked the wrong side. We'll discuss all that. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're working to finalize an executive order that will encourage police departments nationwide to meet the most current professional standards of force. And that means force, but force with compassion. Law enforcement improvement. And is it possible that we might find out who the looters and rioters were who ransacked so many cities and took out so much merchandise? They destroyed so much and hurt so many Law enforcement officials, we're cops on down. We're looking at video now. There's great hope there. Number two. This is a perfect time for us to move those statues. These names are white supremacists that uh, said terrible things about our country, and their statues are still here because their states put them here. And that is uh, Nancy Pelosi, War on History, More Attacks on Columbus and the Confederacy from renaming military bases to statue destruction. What is the right way to address our past? Number one. It's a sad result of the city of Seattle's elected officials lacking the political willpower to enforce the rule of law. And it's the closest I've seen to our country to becoming a lawless state. To me, that is absolutely appalling. Michael Solon, I agree with you. Seattle Police Union President Talking about the Seattle standoff, chaos in major city. Seven blocks have been handed over to anarchists. The mayor could not be happier, and the most sane Americans could not be more concerned. And I consider myself sane. And I consider you sane. You could call up and tell me I'm wrong, 1 408 7669. They want these, uh, these, these, they just coined off seven blocks. And just to review, to tell you what's happening in Seattle. Uh, there was a protest outside uh, their precinct in that uh, beautiful city. 
and they thought it would be a great idea, did the mayor and possibly the governor, to de-escalate the tensions by having the cops leave. And guess who stayed? All the protesters. Guess who used the barricades to barricade themselves in? Guess who took seven blocks of that city and just refused to have commerce, set up tents, drawings, graffiti, and told the cops they're not allowed back into their precinct. And so far, the cops have not gone back to their precinct. And they have demands like, Abolish police. Hmm. Abolishment of prisons. Really? Let's have a retrial for anyone who's a prisoner of color. A release of prisoners uh, that have anything to do with marijuana or resisting arrest. So maybe we should give them credit if they resisted arrest. That's just some of the highlights of the ridiculous demands of these people that refuse to take part in American society. Many look as though they're between 20 and 35. I imagine they don't have jobs to run to. They look like they just got off skateboards or an X game a road trip. I am not really sure. I don't want to put down any of them, but I'm just telling you about how I'm, what I'm seeing. I don't see civil rights. I don't see Martin Luther King with a list of demands or Malcolm X with what he expects. I don't see any uh, leaders out there. All I see is a bunch of people who don't want to participate in society. So you would imagine Mayor Jenny Durkin, who knows one of the demands is that she be fired, would be outraged. But instead, we got this. Cut three. Clearly, unfortunately, our president wants to tell a story about domestic terrorists who have a radical agenda and are promoting a conspiracy and fits his law and order initiatives. It's simply not true. Lawfully gathering and expressing First Amendment rights, demanding we do better as a society, and providing true equity for communities of color is not terrorism. It is patriotism. Yeah, uh, too bad that's not what's happening. Extortion claims are rampant for people who want to be getting to their towns. They're actually checking IDs to get into cities. Wow, checking IDs. We can't have that for voting, but we can get into your little seven-block uh, seven section uh, to get in and out of there. They're telling cops, you better not come back to your own precinct. That's not patriotism. That is anarchy. I don't know who these people are, but my fear is the longer this goes on, the more it's going to be replicated in other cities. Durkin goes on to speak. Cut four. We do not need anyone, including the president, to try to sow further divide, further distrust, and misinformation. The threat to invade Seattle, to divide and incite violence in our city, is not only unwelcome, it would be illegal. And if you see what the New York Times is writing, uh, they actually praise this. They call the, uh, uh, the autonomous zone homeland for racial justice. Really, I haven't seen much of that. Uh, In Seattle, they call it liberating streets. From whom? The cops? From Seattle residents who want to go to work? For tourists who want to see what's there? To consumers that want to buy a cup of coffee? New York Times headline, free food, free speech, and free of police inside Seattle's autonomous zone. It seems so nice. The entire area is now a homeland for racial justice, as I mentioned. Seattle police chief feels like I do and wants to make it clear it was not her decision to abandon a precinct which is a horrible precedent that was started in Minneapolis because they thought by showing weakness to would-be anarchists that would be looked at as kindness. 
No, weakness is looked at as weakness. To show you have an outstretched hand and show understanding, sadly, with these people, it is showing that you're vulnerable. Here is Chief Carmen Best, Seattle Police Department. Cut five. You should know leaving the precinct was not my decision. You fought for days to protect it. I asked you to stand on that line day in and day out, to be pelted with projectiles, to be screamed at, threatened, and in some cases hurt. Then to have a change of course nearly two weeks in, it seems like an insult to you and our community. Ultimately, the city had other plans for the building and relented to severe public pressure. I'm angry about how this all came about. We had solid information to believe that anti-government groups would destroy the precinct once we left. And they will. And one of the reasons they left, they said, if they firebombed the precinct, they're afraid with all the buildings so close, everything else would burn. I never heard of the police being over, concerned about being overpowered. What's going on? The President of the United States is outraged. Cut one. If there were more toughness, you wouldn't have the kind of devastation that you had in Minneapolis and in Seattle. I mean, let's see what's going on in Seattle. I will tell you, if they don't straighten that situation out, we're going to straighten it out. Yeah. So what is going on behind the scenes? Andy Ngo uh, is somebody who's been a reporter and been attacked by Antifa. You might have seen him. He's editor-at-large with Millennial. Uh, it's, he says it's hard to overstate the anarchy that he's witnessing. Uh, and he'll say that exact verbiage. Cut nine. It's hard for me to overstate the anarchy that's on the streets in a neighborhood in the largest city in the Pacific Northwest. You have here a group of several hundred people who have laid siege to a territory and have claimed it as a separate political entity from the United States. And Aside from images of them dancing and having a good time, they also have people going around who are armed and acting as security and also uh, border checkpoints. Think about this. Just think, do you don't think people in Los Angeles, these jobless, angry people, hate the country, been told that in their colleges and high school for years? are not thinking about taking Los Angeles, taking Portland, Oregon. And the governor calls himself a governor who couldn't wait to crack down when it came to the pandemic, the shelter at home. You better listen to me. When it comes to these anarchists, you could take seven blocks. What's the big deal? You could set up tents. You could graffiti the, uh, the precinct. You could leave. You could give in to protesters. What's the big deal? Wear a mask. Wear a mask. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Brooke Rollins. He's assistant to the president, director of the domestic policy. He's coming to us from the White House. And what Brooke is going to be talking about is the president's proposal for law enforcement reform. He wants to make it better. And for those Democrats who say they are not for defunding the police force, they should tell about 30 separate cities because the movement among state and local legislature is pretty strong and it's embarrassing. And every single person who votes for it should be prevented from ever calling 911, whether you're having a heart attack or you're being a, a victim of a home invasion. You cut law enforcement, you don't deserve their protection. I have never seen something so, uh, so clear as what is wrong and right, and I've never been so disturbed as how many mainstream media outlets in print and on television and streaming have no problem with what's going on in Seattle. You could tell me I'm wrong. You're welcome on the show. 
but I know I'm right. 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot of breaking news to cover along uh, with the show, and we got some great guests uh, coming your way. So don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. First, we're aggressively pursuing economic development in minority communities. Second, we're confronting the health care disparities in minority-serving medical institutions. Third, we're working to finalize an executive order that will encourage police departments nationwide to meet the most current professional standards. Uh, That was the President of the United States yesterday in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Brooke Rollins was there, assistant to the President, director of the Domestic Policy Council. And Brooke, the President yesterday went out of his way to address the concerns in uh, minority communities, urban environments. In what way and what did you unveil yesterday? Thanks for joining us. Brian, good morning. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me. So I think yesterday was a banner day. We spent a lot of time over the last, well, few weeks and months, obviously, talking about how to bring this country back, first from uh, the coronavirus, which the president calls the plague, of course, uh, but secondly, with the last couple of weeks of the sort of the destruction we've seen in, in many of our inner cities, what can we do to unify, to heal, to restore, to rebuild, and to renew this great country? So as the president outlined, your listeners just heard, uh, we have a, a pretty significant law enforcement piece that Attorney General Barr is leading. And then we have a very significant economic empowerment piece that Dr. Ben Carson, our Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, is leading. And then also, third, we have a big health piece to make sure that our most underserved communities have the health care they need and deserve and that they can afford. So, yeah, uh, what you have is you broke it down, pursuing economic development in minority communities, confronting racial disparities in health care, uh, signing an executive order to establish better training for the nation's policies, nation's police, and urging Congress to enact school choice nationwide. 
Now, what made, and I love this, by the way, and what made you think that's invaluable for those in underserved communities? Brian, the four, I think, are are hand in hand. And thank you for mentioning school choice. I can't believe I forgot what I think is probably uh, at least as important as everything else in that bucket. You know, all four together, we can talk about law enforcement in its silo. We can talk about jobs in a silo. We can talk about education reform in a silo and health disparities. But when you put them all together, that's what truly will transform this country and especially those with the least among us. And you look at this president's record over the last three and a half years, you know, before this, uh, the, the virus hit the country just three months ago, as you know, and as your listeners know, we had the lowest poverty rates in our country's history, the best job numbers in our country's history. And while that helps all Americans, Brian, it helps those in these distressed inner city communities who had been forgotten, who had been ignored, who had been taken advantage of by the left and by the Democrats for generations. So, you know, this president has already done it, and now we're just going to do it again, frankly, and hopefully get to an even better spot. I was sort of shocked at this. In 2016, the Cato Institute did a survey. They found out that 64% of African Americans supported a tax credit for individuals and corporate donations that pay for scholarships to help low-income parents send their children to private schools because if they go to a school and they have no choice and they don't have the excess income to go to a private school, they're just out of luck. So to level the playing field, you would think Democrats who get most of those votes from African American communities would do this. But instead, they're more in bed with teachers' unions that would pay the price because there would be less teaching jobs because more African-Americans would be going to better schools. Right? That, you know, you you are singing from my songbook. I feel like you and I have been talking about this for, for a long time, but this is our first conversation. Listen, nothing is more important to the future of America than ensuring every child has that world-class education. And yet our nation's report card shows that about two-thirds of our kids are not even proficient readers. So why would you have a system? Why would the Democrats continue to defend a system that has kept their own people that they purport to represent in generations of poverty and high school dropouts and moving into the criminal justice system? It makes no sense. And, And in fact, even one more, you quote Cato, Most of the polls, Brian, show that within the community, not just overall America, but within the African-American community, they support this issue 80 percent to 20 percent. Within the Hispanic community, they support it, I think, 75 to 25 percent. It is the teachers unions that fund the Democrat establishment that has kept this issue from moving forward. And, you know, God bless this president. Uh, Understandably, you know, there there are some tweets some people don't like, whatever, but he is a fighter. And he is going to make this issue, you know, top, top of the priority list as we move forward. And really, there is no important, more important issue than this. It really is the civil rights issue of our time, in my opinion. And sadly, there's a big defund the police that goes along with what you're addressing. Eugene, Oregon, Austin, Texas, Camden, New Jersey, Minneapolis. We saw it in New York and, and Los Angeles. But lastly, the president's going to be speaking on June 19th in Tulsa. Back to the rallies. Will he make it about race being that's the celebration of the release of the Emancipation Proclamation, which freed African-Americans? Just got a minute left. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, we will be in Tulsa at the end of next week as part of the Great American Comeback. But per your point, it is a very important day. It is a very important day in this country's history. I don't want to get ahead of the president. But there is no doubt in my mind that we will be talking about how to move this country forward 
for every man, woman, and child, but recognizing that in Tulsa, in Oklahoma, that, uh, that we'll be, you know, recognizing what's important to move this country forward. Uh, she is uh, Brooke Rollins, uh, assistant to the president, director of the Domestic Policy Council. The president's moving, the House is moving, the Senate's moving all towards law enforcement reform. Hopefully it makes everybody better and everybody happy. I have my fingers crossed. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks, Brian. Have a great weekend. Coming up next, one of my favorite guests, Admiral James Chavides. Uh, he used to be the Supreme Commander of NATO. Now he gets something better to be on our show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The senior leaders, everything you do will be closely watched. And I am not immune. As many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last week, that sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics. As a commissioned uniformed officer, it was a mistake that I have learned from. And I sincerely hope we all can learn from it. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, yesterday, uh, making it clear he was not happy with his decision uh, to be in his camouflage, in his uh, army gear, as he walked with the president over to St. John's Chapel, which ended up being a photo opportunity to say, I'm still going to go to the church, the church is still going to be there. And the president held up a Bible. The general was there, kind of faded off. He, was, he got some criticism because of that. Admiral James Stravitas joins us right now. Uh, different branch of the government, but in military communities, I understand that uh, respected officers like you were really upset by Mark Milley's presence there. Is that true? It is true. And um, let me tell you why, Brian. It's because it became uh, a moment of real political activity. And uh, however you want to score the president's uh, behavior and his choice and so forth, it was clearly a political event. And I think that uh, General Milley certainly did the right thing not being in the photo op. And as he said himself, I think being there in that square at that moment for the political piece of it was not uh, appropriate for an active duty uniformed senior officer. Let me add just one point about Mark Milley, who I've known for almost two decades. And I'll tell you a story. He became the briefer as a colonel to Secretary of Defense Don Rumsfeld because he was the 106, the one colonel or Navy captain I could find on the joint staff who would stand up to Secretary Rumsfeld, who's famously very difficult kind of person. He's got inner qualities of real resolute determination to do what he thinks is the right thing. And I think that he then worked for me as a two-star in Afghanistan. He's a heck of a warfighter as well, uh, goes on and becomes chairman of the Joint Chiefs. He's just in a tough position right now, and he's trying to establish that he does not want to see the active duty military pulled into the politics of the moment. I think he's in the right place. Yeah, I also, I, you know, whether it's true or not, Almost everybody I know who's seen them together, 
the president always got along with uh, the general. And even before he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he couldn't wait to mm-hmm. name him to that spot. And actually, when I listened to his remarks, a lot different than how it's being reported. He's not saying the president shouldn't have done that. He's saying, I shouldn't have went mm-hmm. with him. So that's a little different than rebuking the president. Would it seem as though the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, was doing last week? Do you feel the same way? I feel that uh, Secretary Esper, I wouldn't say was rebuking the president per se, but he was doing what he's supposed to do, which is to give advice to the senior leadership. In his case, there's only one senior person, the president. And Secretary Esper was talking about the Insurrection Act and was saying that now is not an appropriate moment to invoke the Insurrection Act, which is what, as you know, Brian, permits active duty military to be engaged in domestic missions in the United States and and can even be done without the consent of governors. That's a big deal. And Secretary Esper was giving his assessment of the situation that um, the disturbances, the protests, none of it has, at least as yet, fortunately, risen to the level that would require the Insurrection Act. So I think both Milley and Esper have done the right thing here, which is to uh, give their view of the situation. And then it's up to the president whether he wants to retain their counsel or not, so to speak. So now it's probably the toughest question I have for you, with the most interesting, too. Uh, we were not around when these military bases were named after Confederate generals. It had nothing to do with us. We, I didn't even know what you know, Fort Bragg stand for, the who they named after. I just never focused on it. But I don't feel bad because a lot of people who served in the military and lived on the base didn't know either. And now there's a big push in 11 and 12 bases just to flip these names. The president says no, but now some Republicans, Republicans in the Senate are saying yes. Listen to Senator Mark uh, Lamar Alexander, cut 19. You know, I think we ought to try to rewrite history. I think it's always appropriate to review the people and the places that we honor to see if they fit the context of the times in which we live. James Langford, Republican, Oklahoma, 20. I think we should actually look long-term at what that really means. I've been pretty outspoken on things like schools. Uh, I don't think schools should be named after Confederate leaders and generals. Uh, You've got a role model issue there. I think you should have the same thing in military bases. And for my research, Senator Robert E. Lee didn't want a statue named after him, didn't want a monument named after him, but yet he's recognized at West Point where I think he was number one in his class. Admiral James Stavridis is one of our most respected leaders. Where do you stand? Um, I stand on uh, changing the names of those bases, Brian. I think it's time to do that. And the real distinction here, why we zone in on them in particular, is they took arms against the United States of America. They fought for slavery. That's that's a, a very uh, distinct level of, um, frankly, historical disgrace. And I think that to name our bases after them uh, or our schools, I think is a mistake. Um, it's We have hit a time and a place when I believe it is appropriate. And by the way, look at the U.S. Navy. Um, back in the 70s and 80s, we had ballistic missile submarines named the Robert E. Lee and the Stonewall Jackson. Um, we got rid of those names. We've moved on. I think we have one ship left in the entire fleet that has a Confederate name associated with it, the Maury, 
which is a research ship. Very few people have heard of Maury, but I suspect the Navy is going to take a look at that one as well. Um, this is not a big politically correct uh, move, in my opinion. This is a moment when we ought to simply look at the context of the times and make those changes. And by the way, we have a whole new generation that you and I have talked about a lot, these uh, Medal of Honor winners in these wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, there's a new generation of those who have fought for the United States. Their names should go up on those bases as opposed to those who fought against the United States. Uh, a couple of things. Number one is, you know, it wasn't our idea. It wasn't your generation, my generation's idea. You're talking about 1890s in a lot of cases in 1920. There was a sense in our country we could still come apart. And it was Lincoln that said, with malice toward none and with charity for all, uh, and with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive to finish the work we are in to bind up uh, the country together. Are we beginning to unbind the country? Does it concern you at all that the, the people that kept our country together after this brutal division were not seeing their wisdom? My view is that we have a larger strategic concern in the United States right now, which is how are we going to resolve the challenges of uh, race relations in the country? And that's going to be an enormous task, I believe, for the next administration, whether it's a Trump administration or a Biden administration. It's going to be difficult and challenging. The names on these bases, Brian, I see as a kind of tactical issue at this point. I don't see this as part of the strategic solution in any sense. And I think, tactically speaking, this makes sense. We ought to change those names and move forward uh, to address the bigger strategic race relations issues we have. But it's not ending there. Uh, and I tend to agree with you, by the way, but you're the one who, you're in the military, so your perspective is, is much more important. Uh, and so is, and so is uh, Jack Keane, who served at Fort Bragg. They called that home for a while, and he agrees with you. He said, if the country wants to move that way, let's move. And Nancy Pelosi wants to go a step further. She wants to remove all the statues of Confederate soldiers from Capitol Hill. Listen, cut 17. This is a perfect time for us to move those statues. These names are white supremacists that uh, said terrible things about our country, and their statues are still here because their states put them here. You agree? My reaction is this is another tactical issue, and I think that it's certainly appropriate to examine them. I don't know what statues she's talking about. I know there are many, many, many statues up there, and I believe that each state uh, has selected two individuals to send up there in statuary. So this is, I think, a job for both the Congress and the states to work together. But I think it's, it's emblematic of the fact that once you flip those bases, um, you are going to look at schools, you are going to look at statues, and I think that's appropriate to do. Last thought, I really would start with these bases because of the military. The military has worked very, very hard to integrate itself. I would say the U.S. military is in the forefront of being an egalitarian organization. We've still got work to do. We're not perfect. But the U.S. military has come a long way. We get these issues. That's why you're seeing also the removal of Confederate flags. And I think it's time to do that from military right. installations as well.
But we, I assume we agree, Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, who sadly had slaves, should not be expunged from city names and uh, from our uh, record books and I agree. things to that nature. I agree with I, that. I, I hope yeah, we're not I agree. back There's here to talk debating that. Yes, there's a distinction to be made um, that puts the weight of history against those who took up arms and fought against the Union and fought for slavery. That's a different case. Admiral James Stavridis, thanks so much. Appreciate it. AdmiralStav.com is the way to find what he's, what he's doing, where he'll be, and what his thoughts are. Admiral, thanks so much. When we come back, uh, we're going to go to WOKV. It's one of our local affiliates, and uh, they got some great news to the city of Jacksonville. They'll be host in the site of uh, the president's address at the RNC. What's the city's reaction? We'll go inside one of its most esteemed personality, Rich Jones, next. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jacksonville, I know what you're thinking. Are we big enough, bold enough to host the RNC? If you think you know Jacksonville, think again. We've hosted the Super Bowl, the Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney, and Tim McGraw. What city would take on the Republican National Convention with just 75 days to pull it off? Probably not many, but Jacksonville isn't just any city. Here in the River City, we do things big and bold, and we'll be ready. I hope so. Uh, Mayor Lenny Curry of Jacksonville was officially got uh, received in really uh, just over just under. I mean, it's just around the corner. It's late August. They're going to be hosting the Republican convention, but they're going to be getting the big crowds. Uh, part of the working most of the working groups will stay in North Carolina, uh, but the fun will be here. That has not been lost on Rich Jones, one of the superstar personalities on this great station. WOKV is kind enough to carry uh, this show, the Brian Kilmeade show. Hey, Rich, how big is this for Jacksonville? You know, a lot of people have compared this to when Jacksonville hosted the 2005 Super Bowl uh, with the um, wow. uh, with the New England Patriots winning over Philadelphia. And obviously, a lot has changed since then. One of the biggest questions that the mayor has already taken was, "Hey, we haven't really seen an increase in hotel space in the downtown area." His retort to that, Brian, really is, "The entire area around Jacksonville has boomed since then. So Southside, Amelia Island, St. Augustine, all within about a half-hour drive or transportation." And that's the one single greatest question is Jacksonville isn't really a great mass transit city. You do have to drive around. But if they can get the transit thing taken care of, we certainly have the capability to bring all these people into Jacksonville. And I'm really disappointed, Brian. You didn't throw some Leonard Skinner Jacksonville bump music there on your rejoin. You had such a perfect opportunity. You know, I I fault myself. (laughs) I I do have all my albums out uh, from the 1970s. And I should have put my record player on. And I could have, should have queued it up myself. That would have been great. Um, you're right. And I'm sure they're going to play a major role because I know they always come on Fox and Friends, too. Uh, they seem to be big Fox viewers. And I'm sure WOKV listeners uh, makes me so much, uh, so much a part of the area. So this is big news. I really get the sense the excitement's there. Um, last time they brought up cruise ships to help out with the Super Bowl. Do you guys going to do that again? 
I, that's not the plan for this time. That's already been uh, poo-pooed a little bit uh, by the local officials here. And, and I do think, again, you've got the capability around the metro area. I mean, the city itself is just under 900,000 people, but uh, the entire surrounding area, Brian, with 1.5 million in St. John's and Nassau, and even uh, some of the surrounding counties in Clay and Baker County, there certainly is more than enough. Uh, the Duval County Republican Party chairman told us this morning on Jacksonville's Morning News that between all of the other surrounding hotels around the metro area and also Airbnb and some of the other uh, recent establishments that we've seen in the Duval metro area, we're certainly capable to be able to host as many uh, folks who will be coming here. Are you convinced, Rich? How long have you lived here? <laughs> I've been here. I got here right after the Super Bowl, actually. It was 2006 that I got here. So I've been able to uh, hear and experience what it was like when we uh, hosted the Super Bowl in 2005. And uh, I, I think that the area is able to do it. I think one of the biggest question marks that still exists is what might we see and what's going to be the temperature in late August. The average air temperature is in the upper 80s still, but the political temperature, will it still be as volatile as what we have seen in recent weeks? Jacksonville has hosted the number of protests. Uh, every Saturday they've gotten larger and larger. Thousands have been in the downtown area. So questions around security and what might that look like? How far back will protesters be from Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena? You know, the actual stadium district where the arena is, is right next to TIAA Bank Field where the Jaguars play. There's a lot of construction down there. There's the baseball grounds where the uh, Jumbo Shrimp play, the uh, minor league uh, baseball franchise. So you're able to pretty much keep a lot of the protests and protesters at a distance safely so that everyone can have their voice heard in a democratic society here in Jacksonville and Northeast Florida. Uh, I think we can pull it off. It certainly is going to be a, a sprint to the finish here over the next 70 plus days. Rich, you might not know the answer to this because I know I don't. Is, are all the speeches going to be here? Because there are big speeches earlier in the week besides the president's. What we heard from both the Duval Republican Party chair and Congressman Michael Waltz, we had both on our morning show today, both were able to confirm that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday events, so all of the big speeches would be in Jacksonville. So what we initially reported this morning was in the Charlotte Observer, which was that the Monday business would be in Charlotte, and then it would transition from Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to Jacksonville. So all of the things that you and I are accustomed to covering, seeing, and experiencing in recent conventions uh, – on Tuesday, which usually is the state day, and you can see a lot of, so we'll see like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, for example, maybe doing the keynote. Those we understand at this point would be here in Jacksonville. Right, outdoors at the Jaguar Stadium. Indoors, I think, is what we're going to see. So that's going to be at the arena, which is right across from the Jaguar okay. Stadium. I, it's possible. You certainly could do some at the uh, TIAA Bank Field where the Jaguars play. But everything that we have been told so far is that it would be indoors at uh, Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena, which is about 15,000-seat capacity compared to about 20,000 with the uh, uh, facility in Charlotte. He's one of the superstars at WOKV, one of the most respected uh, radio stations in the country, and now he, he's going to have the spotlight on him come August, the national spotlight as the RNC comes to town, which is 75 days to get ready. Rich Jones, best of luck. Great talking to you, and you do an unbelievable job. We'll see you here in a few weeks, Brian. Absolutely. Rich Jones, thank you. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Moving ahead on a very busy week, but you don't need me to tell you that. Historic week, you don't need me to tell you that. But I do appreciate you listening. Ratings reflect it. And uh, we're starting to see uh, turn the corner in many states and an increase in others. Now, a lot of people getting panicky, including the market yesterday, which is up substantially 700 points right now. Maybe by the time I'm done with this block, it'll change. Um, the market's up. A lot of people are getting uh, panicky that we're getting a second spike. I don't think we're getting a second spike. Larry Kudlow said he talked to his science experts before doing Fox and Friends this morning. He says we're not. And I think it has a lot to do with what Dan Patrick said, the lieutenant governor of Texas last night. He says, do you understand how much we're testing as a country? I mean, a lot of people are getting tests at a dizzying rate. And you know how I know it's working on the testing? Because no longer is Anderson Cooper crying about it and people making a big deal of it. You know how I knew we had enough ventilators? Because the other networks started to stop covering it. So maybe when you have much more tests, you get more positive tests. That could be it. And the fact that the New York governor said, hey, for those of you who defied me, my words, and protested, get tested. Consider yourself positive. How understanding he is, as opposed to the guy who's yelling at us and berating us like a, like a disappointed parent when we don't do exactly what he says. And when we have a mayor who says, you can go out in the sun, but don't stay there too long. And you can go walk on the beach. You better not swim. We'll pull you out. But if you want to protest and take, take apart the Nike store, Godspeed. And for the people that want to crack down, like cops, we're going to take their money away. Let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're working to finalize an executive order that will encourage police departments nationwide to meet the most current professional standards of force. And that means force, but force with compassion. Uh, That is force with compassion, law enforcement improvement, and it is possible looters and rioters will pay the price for their destruction in U.S. cities. I'm getting some hopeful signs that we're reviewing the video. Yes, so I will bring you the details. Number two. This is a perfect time for us to move those statues. These names are white supremacists that uh, said terrible things about our country, and their statues are still here because their states put them here. Nancy Pelosi, the war on history, more attacks on Columbus and the Confederacy from renaming military bases to statue destruction. What is the right way to address our civil war past? Number one. It's a sad result of the city of Seattle's elected officials lacking the political willpower to enforce the rule of law. And it's the closest I've seen to our country to becoming a lawless state. To me, that is absolutely appalling. Seattle standoff. Chaos in a major city as seven blocks have been handed over to anarchists. The mayor could not be happier, and most sane Americans could not be more concerned. Geraldo Rivera, I consider you a sane American. And I know you're not used to compliments like that, uh, but <laughs> I look at that so... I'm occupying <laughs> my house right now. <laughs> <laughs> Legally, right? It's occupied uh, Heights. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm concerned about this, and I'm really concerned that they're going to start mirroring this behavior in Minneapolis and Portland, Oregon, and Berkeley, California, maybe on the campus. Are you? 
there's two there's two issues. One is the reality on the ground. The other is the political impact of the reality on the ground. In terms of the reality on the ground, I think Seattle represents a true challenge. Uh, it's not unprecedented uh, in terms of protesting and activism. Uh, I remember taking over buildings myself back in 1969, 1970. At least my clients did. I represented the Young Lords in New York, and they took over a block square and uh, created a free uh, uh, breakfast program for ghetto youngsters, uh, free lead paint poison treatment uh, uh, testing and so forth. Uh, you know, so it's not unprecedented, but usually it happens and the, uh, the protesters are cleared out by the cops and never, ever ever have I seen, uh, you know, police precincts become suddenly uh, the targets of, and uh, in this case, the venue for the occupiers. They've actually, they're squatting in a police precinct. They've taken over the, this area that's like Greenwich Village in New York. I think it's, it's terrible. The anarchy is awful. I think it works for the president in terms of the politics going to that phase of it. Uh, the last thing, the American people, inherently conservative in nature, uh, black, white, uh, uh, brown, whatever, uh, Native American people are, uh, you know, they, they are conservative socially. They want peace in their own home. They want peace in their neighborhood. They want, uh, you know, they want systems to work. And when you have anarchy here, when you have the defiance of authority, where you have uh, the the trampling on private property rights, where you have this disrespect for the shopkeepers there and for the residents of the area, uh, I think that what the Seattle mayor is doing, I called her, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jenny, uh, uh, Jenny from the block. Durkin, uh, the mayor of Seattle, what she's doing is uh, she's she's trying to be like a hippie, uh, the hippie mayor, the summer of love. Uh, you know, uh, it's yeah, it's that's bizarre. her term. It's bizarre, but I think it so, works for President Trump ultimately. That's my the point in my rambling discourse. Uh, not rambling. Uh, I will say this. You know, you got to wonder too if Martin Luther King was down there or somebody like him, and these are saying, "This is what I want: racial equality, and this is what's lacking." And we want to look at this uh, income distri- distribution and uh, what uh, what is it like to be uh, black in America in 2020? I'm all ears. I want to get to better race relations. I actually, in many ways, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking back to find out how far we've come and see how far we have to come. But when your demands are abolish the police. Abolish prison. We want to uh, uh, let go anyone in jail because of marijuana or for resisting arrest. Retrial for anyone who's a uh, prisoner who happens to be of color. Uh, And free doctors and free health care for blacks and also free college. These are are the demands. That's just something. Those are just the top 10. They they go on and on and on. None of that's going to happen. None of it's going to happen. The expectations are ridiculous. What they want is to absolutely remake the fabric of American society and redistribute whatever wealth you've accumulated. Wealth is bad now. It's got to be spread around. I mean, it's, uh, it's the idealism of the early communist movement back in the, uh, in the 1920s and 1930s. I mean, when... Joe Biden, the former vice president of the United States, can say that George Floyd's death and the reaction to it is more important or had more significance than the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., you can see that there is a disconnect from reality. I mean, Joe Biden obviously lived through the assassination of Martin Luther King and the, and the, and the gut 
earth-shattering uh, violence, uh, urban America, that, that followed. And around the world, how upset everybody was that this civil rights icon who had been so significant, so important, not only to African Americans, to all Americans, to all people of goodwill. Uh, and to his assassination was a, it was a gut blow. George Floyd's was also in a different way. But what he highlighted in the, the case of George Floyd was specifically police brutality against African-American men. I think that is a very, very important issue. Uh, and it is part of the larger issue that Martin Luther King, in his, uh, in his universal uh, embrace of uh, humanity, was working on. I think that Joe Biden's, uh, you know, uh, association, free association and comparison and uh, quality uh, evaluation of Floyd uh, uh, over King is is shows that this is rhetoric. This is uh, jargon. This is a uh, political uh, baloney, uh, and it's of the, totally of the moment. And a month or two from now, when he play, plays back his own soundbite, he's going to be embarrassed by the overstatement, Brian. I don't think so. I don't think he. I, I think he's going to no, not know what hit him. I think he's stunned to many to, to a degree that he's actually the nominee. So here's Joe Biden. And Brad Parscale is actually baiting the Biden team to let their candidate out. I've never seen this in my life. They say, please put him on television. I will never see it again either. Here is Joe Biden yesterday at a Philadelphia roundtable out to make our country better. First, here Joe Biden tried to tell the whole world how bad Donald Trump is. Cut 38. You know, the rapidly rising uh, um, uh, in with... Uh with, uh, I don't know, uh, his, his just inability to focus on any federal responsibility. Exactly. He goes on. Cut 37. I'm beginning to get bored by my own talk here. But uh, <laughs> well, I mean, this is the man who brought you don't vote for me. He's now saying I'm getting bored by my own talk here and unable to tell us exactly what Donald Trump isn't doing. See, I don't think he was boring. I, I think it's very exciting trying to figure out what he's saying. Uh, you know, uh, it's like English is a third language. It's, uh, it's very tough. But as I said on Fox and Friends with you this morning, it's working. Whatever he's doing is, is working. He's staying in the bunker in Delaware, basically, uh, you know, issuing a, you know, a rambling uh, statement to the media from time to time. Uh, but he's but he can't last. He can't polls. last, Geraldo. He can't it, last. It, he's got to come out now. Well, uh, you know, I was thinking, why does he have to come out? You know, why he could always use help as a as a his rationale. Say that Trump is being reckless and risking people's lives. He's gonna he's gonna hunker down. He Joe Biden's gonna hunker down. And then uh, when it comes to time to the debate, uh, you know, he'll uh, he'll figure out some way to. Uh, yeah, it's not gonna happen. But uh, it, the, I think that for Republicans to put too much stock in the debates is waiting way too long. The debates aren't even until October. You can't let Joe Biden uh, issue proclamations from the basement in Delaware and continue to have this kind of commanding lead in the polls. I, I understand uh, the president historically uh, is under-polled, uh, but he can't be happy about the, the numbers right now, Brian. He can't. And do you think it's a strategy thing or it's a performance thing? Do you think it's a re-elect strategy problem or Donald Trump uh, perceived to be not doing a good enough problem? I think that Donald Trump wakes up every morning knowing, to the extent he can sleep, knowing that every journalist in the mainstream media is out to kill him. Uh, 
He wakes up knowing that there's 20 reporters at the Washington Post, 20 or 30 at the New York Times, CBS, NBC, ABC. Their whole editorial existence has as its target destroying Donald Trump. His every move construed in the most evil way possible. Everything he says exaggerated uh, with all the talk. For, I'll give you a classic example. How much ink or airtime has been given to the clearing out of Lafayette Park for the photo op as opposed to that bloody Sunday in Chicago where 18 uh, black people, four of them girls, teenagers, were murdered in a single 24-hour period. They were, I swear to God, when you look at the ABC, NBC, CBS, New York Times, Washington Post, how much attention was paid to that horrific day, that bloodiest day ever in Chicago's history as compared to uh, Trump and the church, it's a, a factor of a thousand to one. A thousand to one. That's what Trump's up against. No matter what happens or what he does, he's facing these headwinds that everything he does or says is going to be uh, turned against him. So eventually, as he campaigns, eventually, as the ads start uh, getting some traction, uh, eventually, as uh, Biden keeps, uh, you know, stepping on his tongue, uh, the Trump will make a comeback, the economy will come back, the disease will be behind us. It's going to be an interesting climax, but he's, uh, he's uh, starting way behind, Brian. All right, lastly, just to Geraldo Rivera on this day, who, if I, if I had to tell you who's the number one likely candidate to be selected by Joe Biden as the running mate, Geraldo Rivera would say? Kamala Harris. I think that she's the only one who has a plausible argument for being ready for president. Uh, we like Bottoms. We like uh, Eric and I like uh, the Keisha Bottoms of uh, Atlanta, the Atlanta mayor. We think that she's terrific. And, uh, and uh, actually a person who is much more charismatic and sharp and modern, uh, but too young probably. Kamala Harris, uh, former attorney general, United States senator, uh, you know, candidate for president herself for failed candidacy. I think that she's the one. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, it, 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 the thing is that Biden has checked off two historic boxes in picking, or I predict he'll pick Harris. It'll be a woman, obviously, and uh, an African-American. Does that, will that ensure his election, or will it cause Americans who are inherently conservative about change, uh, will it cause them, uh, or at least the people uh, in the middle who go both ways, will it cause them, uh, right. will it cause them pause and say, wait a second, that's too big a leap. I, you know, I don't want to have Kamala Harris as my president, as we likely will, uh, Biden being as physically frail and old as he is, Brian. He is Raul Rivera, uh, not physically feral and not old. Uh, he is going to have a great weekend. <laughs> I'm plenty old. And he'll outwork uh, all of you. Frailer yeah. than I look. <laughs> no way. Geraldo, thanks so much. All right, Brian. You got it. Now, listen, bottom of the hour, Doug Weed, a historian on this new push to uh, crush our, our history and the Confederacy and Columbus. Um, I'm out of sea words, but they're not out of ideas to hurt our past. What should we do? What's the best, most mature way, non-political way forward? You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Call. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, appreciate all your calls and your support. The rating's going extremely high, and uh, it is a very perilous times. And we appreciate you feeling good about coming here to get the whole story, uh, let alone the election that looms in November. That's usually enough to drive ratings. But now with the pandemic and the civil unrest and where we stand now with the president that constantly creates news is pretty amazing. Looks like John Bolton, who's been a constant guest on our show before he went to the White House and then left the White House, looks like his book is going to be pretty bad for the White House and for the president. And according to reports, multiple allegations of misconduct. Um, it's strange to me. The ultimate conservative sees a conservative president who he obviously clashes with and would want to blow him up like this. Paul, listening on WOKV in Jacksonville. Hey, Paul. Hey, thank you, Brian, uh, for having me on, man. I totally got triggered. <laughs> um, so first, In I beg way? you, please do not... Yeah, no, I did. First of all, please, I beg you, don't cut me off for about 15 to 20 seconds. If you can hold that, I want to say thank you again. About I've Seattle. always wanted to be You're on talking air. talking about Seattle, right? Uh, yes, sir. I've always wanted to be on air with someone who I feel, on some levels, is a virtual signaling, Judge Dredd, right-wing shock jock that forgot his duty as a reporter to be an emotional, to not be an emotional speaking head. So uh, tell me what you think for, about. Uh, tell me what you think about Seattle, hey, Paul. Tell me what you think about Seattle. Tell me what you think about Seattle. First question. Yes, just, just tell me my what you think about is, what's going on there. I am. I am. My question is: Do you like Thomas Jefferson because he he said dissent is the greatest form of patriotism? You said that twenty. How do you think? How do you think they're handling? Is that dissent in Seattle? fighting for the city, granted it's horrendous what they are dealing with and on how many, and what we're dealing with on how many levels, but what they're doing is a disgrace on many levels. And lastly, you mentioned the 13th Amendment as though it fixed everything. Well, let me say, I'm confused. Fact- Paul, I'm confused. Are you saying that what they're doing in Seattle is a disgrace? I, I'm going to. It all makes sense if you let me talk. Uh, it, it states emphatically in the 13th Amendment that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall be duly convicted, shall exist with the United States or any place of its jurisdiction, which means we still have slavery oh if you've been convicted of a crime. We'll, we'll be back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Doug Weed, a great historian, coming your way. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Christopher Columbus, I understand the dialogue has been going on for a number of years. The Christopher Columbus uh, statue represents, uh, in in some ways, the Italian-American legacy in this country uh, and the Italian-American contribution in this country. I understand the feelings about Christopher Columbus uh, and uh, some of his acts, which uh, nobody would support. But the statue was, has come to represent and signify uh, appreciation for the Italian-American contribution to New York. Uh, so on that, for that reason, I support it. I would add to that, uh, Christopher Columbus was an explorer who changed the planet by finding the other side, when no one really, uh, very few, really thought it existed. And as a leader in the Caribbean, obviously it didn't go well. 
but you don't take down his statue. We appreciate his accomplishments. That's the way we used to do it. But now we're talking about that and destroying Confederate statues and renaming bases and removing statues from the Capitol. How do historians feel about that? Who better to ask than Doug Weed, uh, best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, I should say, and an advisor to two American presidents, and he served as a special assistant to President Bush and is co-founder of the original board member of Mercy Corps. Uh, Doug, what's your reaction first to Columbus and the fact that his statues are being ripped down, beheaded, and spray-painted uh, with red in their palms and in his face? Uh, well, Brian, <laughs> I think you can guess how I feel. I mean, Columbus changed the world. Uh, imagine Italy without tomatoes. Imagine Russia without vodka. Imagine Ireland without uh, potatoes. Imagine Belgium without chocolates. I mean, he brought the wheel to the Western Hemisphere. They didn't have it. Horses, <laughs> they'd never seen them before. So it was like uh, landing man on the moon. And most of these explorers, it was only about bringing gold back to the king. But Columbus brought back marigolds that started appearing in people's gardens within a year or two of his return. So it was world-changing, and it's pretty hard to ignore it. What are they going to do, change Washington? Washington had slaves, and it's the District of Columbia. <laughs> are they going to change CBS, Columbia Broadcasting System? It's just a bit uh, far-fetched. Do you buy the governor saying he's synonymous with the Italian culture? Oh, I think that, yes, that he's one of the great heroes uh, of, of uh, Italian culture. And there was a move on years ago uh, to change America, North America, South America. They felt it was prop- improperly named. It should have been named after Columbus. It should be Columbia. Uh, but, yeah, if you, you've written history, and you're a great historian yourself, Brian. You know it. You lose the context of history. You, you lose all meaning. I mean, there could be no Barack Obama without Martin Luther King, and there could be no Martin Luther King without Abraham Lincoln, and yet Abraham Lincoln left one million slaves funded when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And there could be no Lincoln without Washington, and Jefferson owned slaves. So you're very dependent, all of us, on those little steps towards freedom, and we should treasure those and celebrate those and not, in hindsight, uh, tear them down. You know, I always thought, too, you study history, you don't judge history, uh, unless, of course, that's your task in college or that's something you want to write about in a book. Uh, But this is tearing down. Now, i got to bring you to what's going on with the Confederate statues. Uh, Nancy Pelosi wants to pull the statues, Confederate statues of Confederate officers, uh, Jefferson Davis in particular, uh, out of the Capitol building and maybe pull all semblance of these statues uh, down from semblance of these statues and, and the name of military bases uh, like Fort Bragg, like Fort Benning, named after Confederate officers. A lot of good people, like General Jack Keane, is open to it. Admiral Stavides is open to it. General Petraeus is open to it. What about you, Doug Weed? Well, uh, I'm open to it depending on who it is, and uh, I'm particularly struck, Brian, I'm an old guy, so I remember it was a Democratic president, LBJ, and a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic House. They controlled it all, 
and they appropriated money to build a new wing at West Point named the Robert E. Lee Wing. Uh, Robert E. Lee, for example, was celebrated. His statues proliferated all over the South precisely because he was a moderate, because his wife taught uh, slave children how to read and helped smuggle them out to freedom to Liberia. So he was a moderating force at the end of the Civil War. It's a little bit sad uh, to see people hypocritically uh, jump on uh, these figures and become the, <laughs> the the guardians against racism. I mean, and especially the Democrat Party with Byrd. I mean, they're not taking his name off any. He was, in my opinion, a racist. I want you to hear what Nancy Pelosi said. Cut 17. This is a perfect time for us to move those statues. These names are white supremacists that uh, said terrible things about our country and their statues are still here because their states put them here. Now, it was her dad in the 1950s who put, I think, Robert E. Lee in Baltimore to help heal the wounds among different uh, ethnic groups. So in 2019, in uh, 2017, she first brought it up. In 2020, thinks she can get it done. Well, it's interesting. For 15 years, she walked by that statue of Robert E. Lee in the Capitol Rotunda and did nothing. But now that there's this political clarion call, what's going on here in is George Orwell. He who controls uh, the past controls the future. And he who controls the present controls the past. So the battle right now is over the present, and you have the national media fighting, uh, attempting to portray some people as racist. I find it stunning that the attacks on Donald Trump is a racist. I met Donald Trump because my house was filled with Nigerian students, young people from Nigeria, Africans. I was helping them with their visas and with their scholarships, and he heard about it. Ivanka brought us all into the White House, hugged and and comforted the Nigerian students who were worried and brought them down to meet with the president. That's the president I know. When I wrote inside Trump's White House, he was giddy. He was excited and very proud of the fact that he had increased jobs among African-Americans, that he had increased the loans, the HBCU loans, that uh, that he had yeah. the First Step Act. He was very proud of what he had done. So it's <laughs> interesting for me to see these portrayals. Just uh, some news. NASCAR has banned Confederate flags, which I'm fine with. They have approved kneeling during the national anthem. So they're going to get out of their cars and kneel during the national anthem. So is the women's national soccer team. Uh, really terrible, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Kaylee McEnany had this to say when everyone started talking about how the president does not want to budge on renaming these bases. By the way, either did Barack Obama in 2015. He was asked. He said no. Here's Kaylee McEnany, cut 24. And I would also note, where do you draw the line here? Should George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison be erased from history? What about FDR and because of internment camps? You know, he, should he be erased from history? And let me just give you the latest news. One of our producers just took a picture of a FDR statue. They have a security around it. Can you believe that? What is your reaction to this? Yeah, that's amazing. 
And I'll say, tell you something else, Brian. It's amazing to me to see how the media has succeeded in portraying Trump as militaristic. I mean, when, when there were riots in 1968, LBJ had tanks on the streets. I have whole movies showing tanks on the streets of Washington, D.C. He had to show force. That's a Democratic president. You don't allow... Uh, rioters to dominate the streets. And uh, every move that Trump makes, he's handcuffed and criticized. It is a, it is a real uh, battle. Uh, and it's driven by corporate greed. The, the globalists, uh, in my opinion, they, they have a, a, a real stake in seeing the uh, collapse in the American economy because they operate monopolies. And when the American economy collapses, it's small businesses that collapse. And Trump set those small businesses free with deregulation that protected the monopolies. And the monopolies could pay for the regulations and then be exempted from them when stimulus bills were passed. But the small businesses always had to keep the regulations. And they, they were the ones that were set free by Trump. They spurred on the economy. And they're the ones now that are being destroyed by uh, the strict measures of COVID-19. That's why you see it in democratic cities, democratic states. They don't want to reopen. They want to kill this economy and get rid of this president. Uh, they do. Uh, no question. It's taking forever to open up New York, taking forever to open up North Carolina, taking forever to open up Pennsylvania, taking forever to open up Massachusetts. And they can't say they're doing it out of abundance of caution when you let your city be overrun by protesters. But last historical question to you. Lincoln was really concerned about getting the country back together. He wanted to. He was willing to give in a lot to avoid the Civil War. It didn't work. Uh, they left before he even got to the White House, most of the states. Number two at the end, in second inaugural, he makes it clear uh, that he did not want any revenge. Keep your guns, keep your horses, just sign over your loyalty to the Union. And that is why they didn't prosecute Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis and things like that. So why did we get to the point where we not only were not being punitive with the South, we got to the point where we're naming schools after the uh, Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee, and they got statues, which Robert E. Lee said he never wanted. How did it get to the point where we're saluting them instead of arresting them? How do, how do we go that far? Do you remember? I mean, do you, do you, can you put that in context? Well, the, 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 to unite the country, the South, uh, just, I'll, I'll help you a little bit with the context with this thought. Great Britain, the British Empire, uh, freed their slaves in 1838. Stop and think about that. We're talking about the Civil War in 1860. It was as late as 1838 that the United Kingdom freed its. So we see how awful and horrible slavery is. But slavery is not Afrocentric. There are far more non-African slaves in history than, than African slaves. And the word itself comes from the Slavs, which at one time numbered half of Europe. And many nations, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, were named after the Slavs. They were all made slaves and imprisoned by Islamic conquerors who spread from the Middle East into Europe. So it's a long, sad history. The Greek democracies, we celebrate democracy in Greece, but half the population of Greece were slaves at the time. They had a democracy. So 
yes, we've made strides, uh, but we wanted to heal the nation. That's why Dwight Eisenhower, who sent troops to Little Rock, Arkansas, to let those open those high school doors and to desegregate, he had Robert E. Lee's picture up in the Oval Office. It gives you an idea. The, the, the hope was to heal the nation and to forgive the past sins, because it was not just the South that committed those past sins. Slavery was a worldwide terrible institution that went back thousands of years. Doug Weed, can't thank you enough. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, Brian, and love your books. Oh, thank you. Back at you. When we come back, uh, your phone calls. I see the lines are jammed. one 408 7669 We're talking about the, the debacle, which is Seattle, and this horrendous mayor, which they fought the police chief to, to deal with. What's happening with that precinct? What's happening with those seven blocks? Also with the, uh, the crushing of the Confederacy, uh, of the statues and the remembrances and the crushing of Columbus. Uh, what is going on with America's past? Back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From his mouth to to your your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. You should know, leaving the precinct was not my decision. You fought for days to protect it. I asked you to stand on that line, day in and day out, to be pelted with projectiles, to be screamed at, threatened, and in some cases hurt. Then to have a change of course nearly two weeks in, it seems like an insult to you and our community. Ultimately, the city had other plans for the building and relented to severe public pressure. I'm angry about how this all came about. We had solid information to believe that anti-government groups would destroy the precinct once we left. And they have. Ryan's listening on WABC in Pearl River, uh, New York. Hey, Ryan. All right, Brian. And the more the politicians give in to the uh, to the um, the anarchists, the bigger their appetite's going to get. What's going on right now, yep. folks, is is a giant wrecking ball going through Western civilization. It's in Australia. It's in Europe. It's in the United States. And one by one, all the statues, your history. They want to. What they basically want to do is cancel history. And you know something? When you give in to looters and rioters and you change laws, you change our everyday life, basically we're now living in a third world country. That's what happens in third world countries, folks. And if you're going to really scrutinize everything that took place, then scrutinize everything that took place. There's been over one million women raped in this country, over a half a million people raped in this, in this country since 1960. So I would like to see this scrutinized. Also, discrimination. What about race quotas? You never hear this issue ta- taken up. A lot of white Americans have been discriminated against. White men have been the brunt of it when they go for jobs, take tests. Maybe if you're an elitist somewhere and you're living good with your, you know, your gated community, you have your own private police force, and you're lecturing us on what we should be doing? No, that's not the way it goes in America. Bring everything up to the table and let's discuss everything that's taken place inside this country. Don't pick and choose what you want to do out there because, folks, we are now living in a third world country when the looters and robbers are allowed to dictate our lifestyles. And in Austin, Texas, in uh, Bend, Oregon, 
uh, in Eugene, uh, now in Washington, Minneapolis, New York, and Los Angeles, they're all doing one thing, to various degrees, defunding the police that provide law and order to a civil society. And Democrats can say that it's not their policy, but I don't see them standing up to stop it and say it's wrong. Mark is in Seattle. Hey, Mark, what do you see? Hey, first, hey, bud, uh, Brian, first time caller. I, I just had to call in and let you know what the real story with Seattle was. But uh, we have three politicians, major politicians in this state. We have Jay Inslee as the governor. We have Dow Constantine as the county executive. And we have Jenny Durkin, the mayor of Seattle. They are all three of those are the most crooked politicians in, in history of the state. Uh, Jenny Durkin has a has a civil councilwoman who uh, is behind all of the uh, anarchy that's going on in Capitol Hill right now. She's actually led um, all the protesters in City Hall after midnight uh, with one armed one unarmed security guard. Uh, we have Del Constantine. Oh, and let me reiterate to uh, add to this. Uh, just yesterday, it was uh, announced that Metro busing is now not going to uh, provide transportation for police officers. Wow. Thanks, Mark. That's the inside story in Seattle. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. 1-866-408-7669. Father's Day getting close. Pick up Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. I can personalize it for you. you just go to briankilmeade.com. Uh, great story about America's past. Also, new new edition, new material in the paperback. We're also watching the market. It was up as far as 700 points. Now it's up 228 points. Uh, there's some good news uh, in terms of the vaccine. And will everyone just calm down about the increase in cases, especially in Florida? Uh, there's no panic. We get a lot more tests. Uh, there's a ton of protests, but there's no second wave. And the good news is our Secretary of Treasury says we're not shutting down again because that was, uh, I think, as we look back in history, too much of a price to pay for the country. I know 100,000 have lost their lives plus, and that's tragic. But I just wonder how many more would have lost their lives, if any, uh, if we did something different. So there might have been a way to keep the economy going at the same time, uh, doing more with Sweden and less what uh, Italy did. So we'll take about that. Also, the Wall Street Journal today chronicles all the mistakes that New York made in uh, leading up to what happened as late as March 2nd. They were telling us to go to the movies and go to a restaurant and not to panic and don't do what's happening over in China and uh, shut everything down. Let's celebrate Chinese New Year because they can't. And what do we know? The virus was running rampant uh, all, all throughout the city. It became the epicenter. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're working to finalize an executive order that will encourage police departments nationwide to meet the most current professional standards of force. And that means force, but force with compassion. Uh, yes, force with compassion. I've never heard that, but I like it. Law enforcement improvement. And is it possible that we might be able to get some 
footage of these looters and rioters and make them pay the price for their criminal behavior? I think the answer is yes. Number two. This is a perfect time for us to move those statues. These names are white supremacists that uh, said terrible things about our country and their statues are still here because their states put them here. War on history. More attacks on Columbus and the Confederacy from renaming military bases to statue destruction. What is the right way to address our past? Number one. It's a sad result of the city of Seattle's elected officials lacking the political willpower to enforce the rule of law. And it's the closest I've seen to our country to becoming a lawless state. To me, that is absolutely appalling. Uh, Yeah, Michael Solon, he is uh, the head of the Seattle Police Union. He says chaos in a major city. Yes, it's chaos even though other media outlets are ignoring it or praising it, like the New York Times says it's a big festival. Chaos in a major city. Seven blocks have been handed over to anarchists. A precinct has been evacuated. The mayor could not be happier, and most sane Americans could not be more concerned. Incredible. Uh, And trying to make sense of this, my fear is this. It's not going to be just located in Seattle. If you want to close in the shot a little, Alex, that would be great. I just decided to sit down, much to the surprise of my huge staff. Um, and by the way, if you ever want to see the stream, go to Fox Nation. You can watch the show wherever I am. You'll get to see it. I'm worried that Seattle and the seven blocks that has been allowed to take over is going to be the same thing in Portland, Eugene, Oregon. I think it's going to spread to maybe New York if we don't find a way to crack down on it right now. This isn't a peaceful protest. They're defiled. They're destroying. And they've uh, basically set up their own mini society with demands. And it doesn't seem like anyone cares except the president and maybe my next guest. He is uh, Congressman uh, Michael Waltz over here in Florida. Uh, the congressman also spent time as a Green Beret. He's a member of the National Guard, worked for Dick Cheney. And he had more to do, probably, than anyone of getting the RNC to Jacksonville, Florida. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. Uh, great to be with you. And, and what a great day for, for Jacksonville and for Florida. Really excited. Yeah, I want to get to that, but I also want to get to this. The anarchy that's taking place in Seattle. I am horrified by it. I'm angered by it. And you know who else is angry? The police chief who made it clear it was not her choice to leave. Cut five. You should know leaving the precinct was not my decision. You fought for days to protect it. I asked you to stand on that line day in and day out, to be pelted with projectiles, to be screamed at, threatened, and, and in some did. cases hurt. And they did. And this police a- chief, if she, had her, if she had her druthers, would still be holding her precinct. But for the second time in three weeks, an American, American police forces evacuate a precinct. Am I, the, am I wrong to be very concerned about this? Uh, no, you're not wrong. You know, Brian, I've served you know, as, as a Green Beret in ungoverned spaces uh, all over the world. Uh, where it's, their lawlessness reigns, it's uh, in many places tribal rule, uh, and and what is really mind-boggling for me is just the media's complicity here, and uh, completely spinning and shading the truth. Look, if the police are not allowed uh, to go in and defend uh, our rights, and I want to make the point here, the rest of America has rights too, not just uh, not just protesters then that is a lawless society. I agree with your concerns. It's going to spread. Uh, and at some point, this goes to the, 
the militarization debate. At some point, if these uh, local officials will not restore restore law and order, then, you know, as the president said, then he will. Uh, and he will use the forces at his disposal. Uh, we are not talking peaceful protests where people are singing, we shall overcome and waving signs. The rioting, the looting, my church in Washington, D.C., St. John's Church, that was that was set on fire. Uh, we have to restore order in this country. We can't have those peaceful conversations until order uh, is restored. And, and that's what we have to do. And by the way, Congressman, I'm not seeing this isolated, this whole defund of police. We're hearing about it in Eugene, Oregon. We're hearing about it. We're hearing about it now, obviously, in Seattle. We're hearing about it in Portland. Yep. We see it taking our root in Los Angeles and New York. I mean, Joe Biden's running from this. But these are all liberals that are pushing to defund law enforcement as if giving less money will produce more security. Well, the amazing thing, especially in Washington, is just a few weeks ago when we were talking about more money or for states is is Democrats were talking uh, about, you know, how dare anyone let police officers get laid off. Great point. Uh, when we were talking about covid now, it's now they want to do that very thing. That is the thing that will hurt underserved and underprivileged communities the most. Uh, there are a lot of African-American leaders saying, don't you dare do this. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's just ridiculous. I don't even know how to, to, to really credibly comment on, on this idea of allowing anarchy to reign. Uh, if, if we want to talk about more monies or more resources in the communities that need them, I, I'm happy to do that. But to do it at the expense of the officers who put themselves in the breach, 99.9% of them, are amazing Americans who strap on that belt and badge every day and put them in between the bad guys and us. Uh, that's the last thing we should do for the communities that we're trying to help. It's, so it's this just guy, ridiculous. this guy, Caleb Heim, absolutely. He, the, the chairman of the, of the Washington State GOP weighed in on what he sees in Seattle right now. For those people who said it's a festival and it's going to be a summer of love, according to the mayor, listen to Caleb Heimlich. I went down to the zone last night. We witnessed the police trying to walk back to their precinct, a precinct that has been abandoned for the last four days, essentially all week. And about 100 protesters charged the police, picked up physical barriers, fencing, walls, and forcefully pushed them back. And we posted the video on our Twitter um, showing the police then piling in vans and moving on. And it got worse from there. I just think I don't know what the president's options are, but, you know, bringing in the troops there, I'm not sure is the best thing in Washington. Politically, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, to me, well, you need a governor a role, with a Brian. semblance. A sem- Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, the National Guard works. That, I think that's a distinction that's getting lost. The difference between National Guard and active duty. National Guard works for the governors, lives in the communities, have civilian jobs, go home at night. And are trained, the Florida National Guard in particular, receives days of of civil disturbance training. Uh, Many of them are actually police officers in their day jobs uh, uh, every year. So that that, that is an option in between total lawlessness by some of these mayors and the president having to bring in federalized troops. These governors can step in and they have uh, the trained forces from those communities at their disposal. And I think that's that should be the next option. And I think that's getting lost in the back and forth. 
All right. So, Congressman, uh, about two weeks ago, the president said he got word that the Democratic governor of North Carolina was not going to okay uh, a, a, any type of rally at the Republican National Convention. So the last day, the president wants to get the momentum at the end of August and, and ride it to his reelection. And the Democratic mayor was not going to let him do that because of what they claim would be coronavirus concerns. Yeah. What did you do when you heard that? Well, when I when I heard the president mention that and uh, actually read, he mentioned his concerns about, you know, uh, the, the Democrat governor mayor playing politics with the convention, not letting him have a convention he wants to have. Um, you know, I called him and made the case for 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 Florida. I know Governor DeSantis did as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've mentioned it a number of times. And once we had Florida down uh, then, then it was a matter of where within. And one of the things, you know, I just want to give credit to him, to Ronna McDaniel, uh, the RNC uh, chairwoman, and everybody who saw the amazing community that is Jacksonville, Florida, that hosted the Super Bowl in 2005, can handle this logistically, and just how great this is going to be for our business community that really needs a shot in the arm. Uh, and Brian, you, you know Florida. I'm just. I'm thrilled that they saw what I see in my hometown, uh, which is which is a, a fantastic place uh, to have this convention. We'll roll out the red carpet for them. I made that case on the phone, made it on Air Force One, and I know others did too. It really was a team effort, uh, and and I think um, a lot of credit to to Mayor Lenny Curry. Uh, the governor and everyone else who really brought this together. It's going to be a huge lift over the next uh, eight weeks. But I think we're going to be able to have the convention that he wants to have. And to the critics on Corona, you know, look, yeah, cases are rising, but testing is rising. What I look at are hospitalizations and unfortunately some deaths, and those are flat. They've been flat for quite some time. And, you know, it it drives me nuts that uh, people keep moving the goalposts on the COVID issue, the entire goal for the shutdown was to flatten the curve to allow capacity in our hospitals, ventilators, PPE, beds, and others. That capacity is there. Uh, and uh, keeping everybody locked in their homes just is not sustainable. Uh, and, and you've talked about all the deaths that we're seeing as a result of suicide, as a result of people not getting their cancer treatment, addiction, and livelihoods that have been devastated. And the thing that that I keep calling out is that people making these lockdown decisions are all getting a paycheck. They're all getting a government paycheck, whether it's the governor of Michigan or, or, or others. But the people who need this business and aren't getting a paycheck uh, are, are really, really excited to have this convention. Absolutely. And we just I did something on television today. All the gym owners almost across the country who are just watching their businesses, their franchises die because these politicians uh, are just letting that be at the end of the green light. And, and they've been the most responsible in getting their gyms ready. And the real thing, the other thing is, um, uh, Congressman, give Brian, us an I idea why Jacksonville beat. I saw I saw a report today that uh, estimating 40 percent of African owned businesses will never come back in a lot of these communities. So when we want to talk about, um, you know, helping people set the stage for a, for, for a better life, we have to eliminate the bad actors in the police force, but we also have to get back to the economic conditions where we were with record low uh, uh, minority unemployment. So I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to make that point. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. And also, don't tell me you're so concerned for me looking out for me while you allow the protesters are on rampant in our streets, looting a lot of our businesses, 
uh, two inches away from each other and wearing masks more for surveillance purposes than safety purposes. Lastly, uh, a couple of things. How did Jacksonville beat Orlando? We have a, you know, at the end of the day, uh, what I don't think a lot of folks realize is uh, Representative Val Deming's husband, uh, it runs Orange County where Orlando is. So there was some concern that you would have the same problems we've had with Charlotte. Uh, But at the end of the day, we have a Republican mayor that is ready to roll out the red carpet. uh, And we have a community that can handle the infrastructure, needs and wants the business uh, and, and everyone is just really that I've talked to is, is really fired up with this decision. And, and, this is and the again, fourth anniversary. the whole team for making the case. Yeah. This is Michael Waltz is the fourth anniversary of the shooting at the Pulse nightclub. I was there to yeah. cover it. Uh, the aftermath as we try to unwind what happened now is an Al Qaeda Islamic extremist hit. What are your reflections? What do you keep in mind on this day? Well, number one, my prayers and thoughts uh, to those 49 families that are that are no longer with us that lost their loved ones but really where i'm focused on brian you we've talked about this is we have to stay on offense against terrorism around the world we can't get distracted isis the taliban and others are trying to take advantage of of this covid crisis uh we have to keep our foot on their necks over there uh if we do not it will follow us home i understand the frustration with the links of these wars i wrote a book on how we can do them better but we can't just stick our head in the sand like, like President Obama did and just completely pull back from Iraq. That gives uh, those terrorists space to attack us here rather than defending themselves over there. And, uh, and yeah, I never sure want to see a pulse, yeah. pulse, San Bernardino, any of those ever happen again. I hear you. Congressman, thanks for all you do. Congratulations on um, producing for Jacksonville, uh, your, your uh, congressional district again. Congressman Michael Watts, thanks. Your call's next. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, your opinions are safe here. Uh, Phil, you're listening on News 96.5 in Orlando. Phil. Yes, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, Well, I was just um, pointing out that Jacksonville is, like, scrambling in 10 weeks to put on this RNC convention, but Orlando could have handled it hands down within a week. That's what we do. We do this 365 days a year. That's what Orlando is yep. for. But, but you heard what, did you hear County, what Michael Wall said? Local, I'm sorry. He's worried about Orange a Val Demings. He's worried about a Congressman Demings. He's worried about Congressman Demings trying to prove herself to no. Joe Biden standing in the way. Yes, absolutely. Val Demings and her husband, Jerry Demings, Orange County mayor, told RNC to go pound sand. Do you know how much we could use the half a billion dollar economic impact that the RNC is going to bring? Selfish. Selfish politicians. They're not looking out for you. And as Michael Walt said through this whole thing, while they shut down and tell everyone who they, what they can't do, where they can't drive, where they can't go, restaurants they can't attend, even in Florida, which is, was quick to the last to slow down and uh, first open up, 
uh, they're the ones who are still getting paid. Not like in many of the other businesses that will never come back. So uh, I understand the frustration from both of them. Hey, listen, I'm going to end with some phone calls. I see every, every line is jammed. I get it. But when we come back, Chris Starwald inside the politics of this moment. Uh, he's going to be with us live. And then we'll take your calls at one 408 7669 For those not in the autonomous zone, this show is yours. News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're working to finalize an executive order that will encourage police departments nationwide to meet the most current professional standards of force. And that means force, but force with compassion. But if you're going to have to really do a job, if somebody's really bad, you're going to have to do it with real strength, real power. Uh, And that's where the president's beginning to introduce his framework for some type of law enforcement reform, along with Senator Tim Scott and Senate side. And we'll see what emerges on the Democratic side. Uh, Joining us now is Chris Starwalt, knows the reality of things. Every time I'm optimistic about something being passed, Chris hops on the air and tells me how naive I am in a fun, playful way. Let's see if he feels the same way now by bringing in Chris Starwalt. I wouldn't I would do no such thing. Uh, This is another one of these issues where there is broad agreement, right? Um, so yep. let's say, let's say that there's a bunch of us and we're all, we're going to go to dinner. There's, there's 10 of us and we're all going to go to dinner. And you say, you know, I don't know. We should just, why don't we just walk over here uh, to Del Frisco's? We'll just walk right over. It's right across the street. We'll walk over to Del Frisco's. Yeah. We'll have lunch or we'll have dinner. It's going to be great. And everybody's nodding, nodding, nodding. Now, that may be good for everybody, but if I am a vegan, which I <laughs> am not, uh, but if I was a vegan and I said, I don't know, guys, blah, 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 all of a sudden that consensus starts to break down, right? The consensus starts to break down, and pretty soon we can't make up our mind to go anywhere, and then we just don't go to dinner and we don't get to hang out. We don't get to do the thing because the consensus melts. There is a consensus here between Democrats and Republicans and between liberals and conservatives about some basic things that could be uh, it could be looked into here. Um, And by the way, libertarians on the right have been making these points for a long time. Right. About certain kinds of police authority, about qualified immunity, about the this is a conversation that's been going on on the American right for a long time, too. So there are things that could be done that probably, if they could get an up or down vote in Congress, could pass. The question is whether those individuals who would be advantaged by destroying consensus will do so. Because as soon as somebody wants to, right, as soon as, so let's say Tim Scott, who is a, is a conscientious, sincere individual who has a real heart for these issues, uh, but who also happens to be one of the most conservative members of the Senate, if, if he's got something that's starting to pick up steam, it only takes one sneeze from Donald Trump to kill it. And on the other side, if Democrats, let's say, 
that you have uh, people like, I'm uh, trying to think of a, of a good name here. Let's say Chris Coons has something going, right? Let's say it's going and, and it's working well and people are, heads are nodding and it's going okay. All it would take would be for uh, Kamala Harris to say, nope, and then it's dead. And that's the, that is the gap that Congress has to run here, which is they've got to come up with something, they've got to build a consensus quickly, and then they've got to pass it. The speed, it, unfortunately, in this case, speed, uh, some deliberation is going to have to give way to speed, and they're going to have to figure out a basic thing that they could do that they can get broad agreement on and put it through quickly. Well, a couple of things. This whole immunity thing, getting rid of immunity for cops, is a non-starter for any clear-thinking person who wants a co- wants to uh, have anybody in the police academies in the future. Uh, all right. So you're a no. You're you're you'd be a no. I was I was only putting that out there as an example of of things that some people on the right have talked about in the past that now liberals are talking about that there's a cross-pollination of ideas. Right. But that would be one idea where there's no cross pollination. And Senator Schumer seems to be digging in on it. Uh, And I think it's obvious if you're making 40,000 a year and you can get sued by anybody on the street for something you did or didn't do. Who's going to want to be a cop? Well, I I marvel, given the fact that I think the median uh, income for a police officer in the United States uh, last year was something like fifty six thousand dollars, given the ordeal that you have to put up with for being a police officer, and all of the jobs that are not your job that you also have to do. It, it's sort of like school teachers, where we say, okay, we want you to keep the peace, law and order, we want you to do that, serve and protect. By the way, you're also kind of a uh, medic. You're also kind of a social worker. You're also kind of the, and they're going to throw eggs at you sometimes, and you're going to do all of this. Man, you would have to really care about your work to do that happily for that kind of dough. And so my hat is off to all of the officers who are asked so much of. And again, it's not just the you're putting your life on the line part. That is, of course, the biggest, but that's that's the biggest we pay police officers for is the willingness for them to to risk their to risk bodily harm and even their lives. But then beyond that, all of these unfunded mandates that fall down on police departments because there there isn't anybody else apparently to do it. I, I marvel at that. They become the parents, uh, like teachers in many ways become the parents uh, because yeah. made an ineffective or, uh, or uh, ugly personal uh, situations that are going well, and, on, different and, challenges for, for the families and, and, today. And we're, losing, we're, we're losing our ability to be self-governing. And the more people turn to police, you know, you read the stories about the teachers calling police uh, on a seventh grader. You read the stories about people calling the police because somebody said something they didn't like. It's like, what happened? When did we lose the capacity to be self-governing individuals? Not everything is a legal or criminal question. Some things are ethical. Some things are moral. Some things are about good manners or bad manners. But, boy, we have sure policified everything that we can think of in this country. Absolutely. And that's why we're using judges a lot more on politics because no one can agree on anything. Uh, and I think you'll like that analogy. In retrospect, I would not be surprised if you use that on your podcast with Dana Perino. I'll steal it. Who, uh, I'm not afraid who, to steal it. Yeah, who? Okay, <laughs> and, and don't give me credit. Uh, Absolutely not. A couple other things. Yeah, <laughs> a couple other things. Politically, where does defund the police fall as a political advantage? For what party? One that is against uh, defunding the police or one that's for it? 
Well, I don't think either party is in favor of defunding the police. I think the people who are in favor of I, I think this is like um, abolish ICE. And I think this is like ending private insurance. And I think it is like um, things in that vein where where some voices on the left say it. Uh, some people who don't think it through clearly say, yeah, OK, uh, I guess so. Then you go through the painful period of them trying to redefine what they meant. Like, well, actually, by defunding the police, we mean funding them, but funding them in a better way. Uh, And they try to water it down to the point of meaninglessness. Meantime, on the other side, the Republican president says Joe Biden wants to defund the police. Joe Biden said he didn't want to fund the police and said that that was a bad idea. But it gives the opportunity for, in this election season, gives the opportunity for Republicans to paint Democrats as soft on crime, and also, also the idea of defunding the police, whatever you think about racial justice or tolerance or the state of race in America today or racism within police, the idea of not having police is crazy. Thank you. Uh, what about taking over seven blocks in Seattle? If you are Joe Biden, that. don't you think it's incumbent, it's incumbent on you to say that's bad or do you think it's the other way around? I don't know. There's, it's so dumb. I love. I love. I, I know. I. I feel bad for the people who have shops there, uh, and whose livelihoods are being uh, denied to them by these people. But it's a pretty ridiculous. It's. I mean. It's. You have to laugh. And uh, Seattle has always been a home, or for decades now, Seattle has been the home for some very radical politics. And I get it. But these people are beyond parody. This is like this is like a Saturday Night Live sketch taking place. I, the, they're gonna they want to they want to drill for water. Uh, <laughs> they're not gonna be they're they're not gonna be dependent on the man to provide running water. Uh, it's just and and the other thing is they can't even they've got thirty demands. No, we have fifteen. No, it's three, and they're fighting with each other. It's just a ridiculous. It's I I shouldn't be laughing. I I know it's a very serious time in our country, but you got to laugh sometimes. It's ridiculous. I just hope it doesn't spread to Portland and Eugene, Oregon. And there's some signs that it will. And it's the same demographic that looted New York City. Uh, they look like uh, 18 to 28 year old ex gamers or skateboarders who are efforting to not be employed. That's my unofficial opinion. Well, you might want to use that for your podcast too. And, and you have to, when you're dealing, you really have to feel for local authorities. So you're dealing with people like this. On the one hand, you want to pat them on the head and say, well, that's just super that you're starting a commune. And look at you and sort of let it run out on its own. Because you know that if you go try to clear it, you, what you, if you're the police, what you want is for these people to eventually look at each other and say, you smell, you smell, let's go. And get it down I to the point you. where it's basically basically some hobos and then you can go in and just and move them out because you don't want to have a, a, like an armed confrontation. Chris, you've pride yourself on saying there reminds me of, but I'm going to tell you right now what we're going to witness with the Joe Biden candidacy is a situation where you will never say it reminds me of. It is a candidate who's not an incumbent who doesn't want to do interviews or be noticed and just coast to victory and is leading. And his name is Joe Biden. You have Brad Parscale, who came out, who runs the campaign for Trump re-election, and says, I am begging you to do cable news interviews and do more. He's baiting them, begging them to come out of the basement. And here's why. 
Philadelphia, yesterday, cut 38. You know, the rapidly rising uh, um, uh, in with, uh, with uh, I don't know, uh, his just inability to focus on any federal responsibility. Followed up by 37. I'm beginning to get bored by my own talk here. But, uh, <laughs> Chris? Well, the, the Do you know why Brad Parscale wants him to talk? Huh? Well, the second one was a joke. But, uh, the yeah, I mean, Biden is not great on the stump. There's no, there is no question about that. And if you're Biden, all you want to do is the minimum, right? In terms of this kind of stuff, there is no advantage for Biden. So look at what happened. He does the char- with Charlemagne the God, and he says, oh, if you ain't black. You know, these cable news hosts who want to have Biden on, no good thing can happen for Biden, right? There's there's no upside. Every Democrat is going to vote for Joe Biden. Donald Trump is the greatest guarantor of Democratic enthusiasm in the history of history. It is, like, crazy how much they hate him and how much they're motivated to go vote for him. Joe Biden just wants to be a hole in the water, right? He just wants to be a generic Democrat. I, Joe, Joe Biden, Joe Biden's best pitch in 2020 is much like Trump's best pitch in 2016, which is, hey, have your own thoughts about me if you want, but I am not that other person, and I know how you feel about that other person. So I, I think the Biden campaign is right to avoid the consequences. You're going you're gonna to lose your candidacy over going on and doing an interview with Chris Cuomo where you say something stupid? No, thanks. Right. Uh, it's going to happen sooner or later. But what happens is they don't play it up. They just refuse to play any of his gaffes and his stumbles and even have a debate on it. And that's what's driving. But they got to get used to it. I'm nuts. But the thing is, when he does two or three events a day, when we get on the other side of the pandemic where it becomes more of a novelty than a novel virus, you're going to see this guy fall apart unless he's going to name his whole cabinet. And they're literally going to carry him out on a, uh, carry him out on their shoulders. I want you to meet my protective secretary of treasury. That, and, but that is how you go to work in a sedan chair. And it's time for you to tell people the truth, that they carry you on, <laughs> on a throne <laughs> on their shoulders as you go places. So don't, don't people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Uh, no, the, right. the, the, the reality for Biden is we don't know if, if the election so far has not been about Joe Biden at all. The election has been about Donald Trump. And what Trump is trying to do right now is calm down a little bit to try to get the focus over to Biden, because the focus can't be on Biden any day that Trump is exploding. Right. If you have a day of Trump exploding, then you don't have a day where anybody pays any attention to Joe Biden. All of the bandwidth is absorbed by looking at Donald Trump. So if Trump can and he's tried this for the past few days, be cool. Right. Don't attack back at Mark Milley. Don't uh, don't just yell about law and order, talk about uh, reforms that can be made to policing to try to get into the sort of the zone of a more typical presidential response to this stuff. As he does that, the chance, his hope can be that the focus will go over to Biden. Biden's hope can be that just every time that the focus is about to really alight on him, Donald Trump is going to do something yep. so wild that Biden can go back in the basement and be fine. He is uh, Chris Dyerwall. Chris, I look forward to seeing you all over the channel, over the podcast, audio, video. Uh, I'm there for you. I, and I'll be there to carry your sedan chair. <laughs> Fantastic. 
Uh, he is uh, Chris Dyer. Well, we come back, it's your turn. From Sean to Tom to George to Don to Jason to John at WABC, we'll get to all of you, I hope, in just a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And I'm watching uh, Don Lemon, that hotbed of reality. He says, where are all these celebrities? Why aren't you talking? Does it matter about celebrity? No. This is the streets talking for themselves. They don't need me right now. I kept my mouth shut. And I'll still keep my mouth shut. But don't think that my silence is complicit. Uh, that was Dave Chappelle. I guess he gave uh, some of his commentary, very well respected on the street um, and very well respected in comedy circles. And we'll see where we go from here. But uh, there's a lot of people just uh, feasting on this opportunity. John, listening on WABC in Rockland County. Hey, John. Hey, Brian. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Brian, you know Good. what? I, I just recently retired. I, I did 41 years in law enforcement, Tw- 21 uh, with the NYPD. And back in the 80s, under Dinkins, you know, I worked in the Bronx homicide. I worked there for seven years. And we averaged between 500 and 600 murders a year. 95% of them wow. were black on black, black on brown. We never heard of people. We went to work every day, dead bodies every single day. I can't tell you how many times I went to work that there wasn't a dead body. That was under Dinkins. Giuliani comes in within. The first eight years of Giuliani, the Bronx were doing less than 100 murders a year. Bloomberg continued that, and now we got de Blasio in there, and that the numbers are going to go right back where they were. We never heard a peep. You know, it was black on black, and we just went, you know, nobody backed yep. us, nobody said anything. It, it was just unreal. And I just cannot believe what's going on now. And I got a son on the job now, and, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm just baffled by this. How, how they vote these guys in there after, after, after New York? Is there anything, John, dollars, in retrospect? Was there anything you would add to the academy now to make it easier to police or give people additional skills? I mean, uh, uh, we're all for that. All cops are anything, anything that, you know, we're, we're not opposed to things like that. Anything that's going to make our job easier, better. Yeah. Uh, you know, get the respect from, 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 from the citizens. But there's no respect. But, he, you know, when I worked there, we, we would clean out a, a housing project of some, some bad guys. Be, be honest with you, the, the, the law-abiding citizens there... They loved us. They would come up to us. They'd, they clap they'd say, for hey, you. thanks so much. Yeah. They, that's exactly right. Well, I, th- I, I appreciate John. I appreciate you and your son and your family that, that serves on a daily basis. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com, download the podcast, iTunes, or Spotify, and keep it here. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.